What Else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. One-on-one conversations with some of your favorite artists. Find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. What Else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer and editor, Robert. Hello, I don't have a witty opening this time because <laughs> I didn't pay good enough attention. Well, and one of these movies doesn't have any dialogue, has hardly any dialogue in it, so yeah. Um, fun. <laughs> well, we write for SifPop.com. We also edit for SifPop.com. We do uh, movie reviews, best ever challenges, other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure to check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with all of that. Lots of great stuff uh, going on over at the website, um, as always. Uh, on today's show, though, on the podcast, we're going to talk about a coming attraction. Well, we'll give our thoughts on something that's coming out soon. Uh, this the only time in a long time and for the foreseeable future that we only have one movie to talk about. So that's that's something. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so we'll talk about Candyman. And then uh, when we're done talking about Candyman, we'll move on to our GOAT segment uh, to see if uh, if these are truly in the conversation of the greatest films of all time. Uh, we got animated this year. Uh, well, one of them's half animated, but they're both kind of half animated. Um, yeah. Because we got Fantasia, the original 1940 Fantasia, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, so, also like kind of surprised. Like, I thought these, mo- I thought both these movies were held in a lot higher regard than they are. But we'll get there. I just like I know that they have a lot of achievements their way, but I, yeah. I thought a lot of people widely considered these to be a lot higher than they maybe actually do. Um. But yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. And uh, and after we're done with that, we'll explore the B-plot. So we're all about here kind of the ghost segment is trying to figure out, like, if we're assembling the Criterion Collection, what's going in. Um, so what movies haven't we talked about that we probably also won't ever talk about that we would put in that category? So, um, or I, mean, I don't know, if won't ever talk about. That's a pretty big statement. But, um, mm. you know, especially I tried to go a little older with my picks um, for recency bias as well as... Um, you know, movies that legitimately could be in there. Um, but I know Parasite was like almost immediately announced. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, been a few recently that like Sound of Metal was announced pretty quickly too. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and we'll talk about some of the other things that are like are coming out um, that I know of that aren't necessarily officially listed because uh, there's quite a, quite a bit of good stuff coming out there. Um, so that's our B plot. Uh, and then of course we'll wrap up with a spinoff. Wow. I don't have anything listed yet. I got to think about that as we talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but first, uh, let's get a chance to know our writer this week. Um, Robert, uh, we, we get a chance to do this all the time. I think we're, you were doing the math and this is the 15th time we've done this. Sounds right. And, uh, you know, every month you come on and we talk about some classics, um, and that just doesn't necessarily give us a big opportunity to talk about, um, like any modern movies, although we do in the spinoff, we do in the B-plot and all that. Um, but, uh, but it really doesn't give us a chance to talk about TV very much, especially because this is right after the TV catch-up week, uh, and all that. And so I noticed recently you've been watching what I consider to be the best running show on TV, Ted Lasso, and, uh, um... Yeah, just uh, kind of what are your thoughts kind of coming through that? Uh, yeah, I don't remember why I started Ted Lasso. I think it's because I bought an Apple computer a, a little more than a year ago, and I had the year free of Apple TV Plus that comes with every Apple purchase. Um, so I said, might as well watch it because everyone's talking about it before my subscription runs out. Um, ironically, I forgot to cancel it, so now I'm paying for Apple TV Plus. Um, it's exactly what I did too, <laughs> except I did the free month. I didn't buy a new Apple product. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so I started Ted Lasso and I watched the first season in about less than 24 hours over the course of two days. And I really loved it. Um, I think it's probably I don't watch a ton of TV, um, especially like currently running TV. So I don't have a lot to compare it to, but it's definitely I think it's the first season, at least, is my favorite TV show in the last maybe five years. Um, I haven't you know, looked at what's come out, but it, it's definitely my favorite thing that I've watched in a long time. I haven't loved the second season quite as much, but it's still good. Um, yeah, Ted Lasso was great. Yeah, I would uh, kind of pretty much second all that. Uh, I, I don't love the second season quite as much either. We talked about that last week, but I, I like where it's going. And I think by the end, it won't be quite as much, but I'm still confident saying it's the best show on TV. Uh, yeah. I mean, Watchmen and Chernobyl, I might might be the only things I'd put above this that have come out in the last five years. Um, but like, those are all timers. <laughs> I think um, Game of Thrones season eight is probably my favorite. No, just... <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. And I think it's uh, this is this maybe is the potential to become my new favorite comedy of all time um, because, you know, currently it's Scrubs, but this is uh, this is just as good. Um, and like there's I find myself constantly listening to the soundtrack over and over. Like uh, mm. um, I think the main theme is pretty great. Which is that ironic because I, I really don't like Muffin and Sons, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and but the uh, they also have another song. It's it's the end of episode five, which is the really sad Ted Lasso episode, a really mm-hmm. sad ending, and uh, he has a Mumford and Sons song played there um, that I find myself just listening to constantly. It's called Forever. It's kind of incredible, um, as well as the song that Cam Cole plays when they have when he just grabs the street musician for the, for oh, the yeah. diner because. Um, I like that style of music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, I like the complete story of season one. Yeah. Like even if seasons two and three are disappointing, it's not like they led you on too many rabbit trails or anything that you wanted wrap ups for. Mm-hmm. It ends on a somewhat of a cliffhanger, just like, Oh, what's going to happen next? But you can still say it's a complete story in one season. Like I wouldn't have been upset if it was, Right, um, like a mini series, a ten episode mini series, or something like that. So even if seasons two and three, and Jason Sudeikis has said they're only going to do three. Oh no, um, that's sad. Yeah, he said they have they have two and three all mapped out, and they just have a story they're going to tell, and that's going to be it. I know, I know that they renewed it for two and three after the popularity of season one. I was just hoping that this was going to go for as long as they wanted to make the show. Yeah, so that, I think it is then because they want to make it for three seasons. Um, I mean, I at, think at least it's not going to go on, you know, eight seasons too long. Like, true. you know, most shows. <laughs> yeah. Even if two and three aren't any good or if they're like underwhelming overall, I'll still cherish and love season one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, do you have a favorite character? Uh, probably Ted, to be honest. Yeah. Though I like a lot of, yeah, I like everyone else pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think little by little, Roy is just winning my heart every day, mm-hmm. um, especially in season two. Um, yeah, which is ironic because I thought I would hate that character the first couple episodes. But I like Roy's niece, <laughs> Phoebe. Yeah, I just love the way he interacts and how he's kind of a no nonsense person, and he's all like everybody is always looking at him like, "Why did you just you know swear in front of that child?" <laughs> and right uh, or like those children or whatever. On television, but, they're like, but you're also. Roy can't so like mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah it's, uh, I think I like 
Ted and those three guys who are always at the pub. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the three fans that are always calling him a bad name. And then there's the one guy who doesn't really want to be disrespectful. And he's just <laughs> like, I like you. <laughs> I like yeah. those guys. Yeah, and then there's like, uh, they always cut to them for like comedic effect. Like they were like, oh, how is people going to react to Jamie Tart coming back? And they're just in the bar just doing the, the Jamie Tart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or like whenever they start singing Roy Kent's song, you know, they always cut back to them. So Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Those guys, they just get paid to sit in a pub <laughs> on set. Pretty much. And then, yeah. They probably do like a week or two and then go home. Like, I think the show legitimately only has one, like, not completely likable character at all. And it's because he's supposed to be. It's the original owner, Rupert. He's supposed to be the pure essence of evil. But, like, everybody else, like, even though Rebecca starts off as pure evil, like, I really like her now. (laughs) Right. She goes through a little change of her own. Yeah. And even Jamie, too. Like, he was a very uh, archetypal character at the beginning. You know, the antagonist on the team. And then. He's even started to come around a bit. Yeah, and look, let's let's also just not skip over the fact that Ted Lasso is essentially live action Paddington. So, <laughs> with a bit more depth potentially. Just did you see the the latest episode? Um, the uh, I, I saw the one after the Christmas one. Yeah, so the one where Nate is trying to get a reservation yes. at the restaurant. Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a quick interaction with the sports psychologist. Is that what she mm-hmm. is? Between she and Ted Lasso, where they talk about like maybe some unaddressed depression and all that, so th- this could get like really dark and serious quickly. I think yeah, whenever I, he finally decides to sit down with her, I fully expect it to. Yeah, yeah. Yep. that's why I like the the full story of the first season because I feel like two and three could go off and do something completely different than what you expected after season one. Sure, and I yeah. kind of hope it does. Yeah. Uh, as long as it's still going to be this little this quality, so say three distinct things I think per season, or yeah. one one distinct thing per season. Yep, Ted Lasso is great. Robert's got a new video coming out on YouTube that'll be available tomorrow for yes. more in depth thoughts. I don't know, I haven't seen it. I assume though, it is more in depth thoughts. Yeah, cool. Uh, so there you go. Quick side promo. Not even not even self promo because I did it. How about that? Don't even have to humble. Don't even have to like humble brag about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I got one more question before you before you move on. Just one random question, and uh, maybe I think I might have already asked this, Robert. um, When when placing a new roll of toilet paper, does it hang towards you or away from you? Uh, I don't know what you mean by those, but like the new one is like. If you're gonna pull the strip, do you pull closer to you or closer to whatever it's mounted to? This is an important question. Why I can't believe no, you're so I, casual about it. <laughs> I'm not being casual, but I just don't know which one is which. It's like this. So it folds over the roll or it right, hangs yeah. from the back? It folds over the roll. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. This is the right way to do it. Uh, the easy way for me to remember is beards are cool, mullets are not. Um, so hmm. <laughs> I just saw that on Reddit one day and it was just like, that's perfect. Nice. Um, so... Yeah, this I mean this is an important question. So Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, let's talk about Candyman. Sure. <laughs> uh Candyman is a new movie coming out this week uh being it was written by Jordan Peele, but they're advertising this as like, you know, all this new Jordan Peele thing which look, there's enough talent here that honestly, like I know Jordan Peele's got a lot of pull especially because of Get Out, but like Nia DaCosta has 
probably just as much pull, especially in the horror community. So like her name should be more prominent. So yeah. um, anyway, this is a spiritual sequel to the horror film Candyman in 1992 that returns to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. So there was, I believe if, if my history is right, there was two sequels to Candyman. And this is essentially doing the Halloween route where only the first one is canon and we're making a 30 years later um, sequel to to that. Uh, I've not seen the original, but I think, Robert, you checked that one out recently? No, I've never seen the original either. Oh, I thought you, I thought you did. Somebody I know checked out the original recently uh, yeah, and talked about me. how good it was. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I did pick it up recently because, um, well, I guess that's kind of into it for the anticipation level. I'm really excited about this one. I think this looks really great. I'm probably in the opening weekend in terms of anticipation level. And so I feel like I need to see the original first. Um, so I picked it up because I'm really excited to see this one. So there we go. On that, on that scale of opening weekend matinee rent streaming at home um, or just not interested in seeing this one, I, I'm opening weekend. Where are you at, Robert? So the thing is for new movies like this, unless it's like an indie that's tough to see in theaters, um, if I don't go to see it in theaters, I probably won't see it at all. Mm. Um, so t- to go by the this spectrum here, I'll say rent, but I probably won't actually end up renting it. So I'll probably just miss it because I'm not too interested in going back and watching the original, mm. um, which I personally, I just have a thing where I can't watch some, like I can't watch the new Halloween or I can't watch this without having seen the originals i'm just not really interested in seeing the original in this case okay that's fair i don't think i was interested in seeing the original and when they were announcing like promo stuff for this i wasn't necessarily but the more that i've heard about what the original movie actually is and how i mean it's it's in the plot synopsis for this one about the you know now gentrified chicago neighborhood but how Mm -hmm. this movie this horror movie is probably more about like racism than it is you know a horror icon or anything like that uh, and how it's actually a, from what I've heard, a fairly deep movie, um, and that's something that completely interests me. And so then I was like, all right, I might consider checking it out. And then I saw this trailer, and this trailer is just fantastic. I mean, specifically that like, I don't know what kind of art style it is, but it's like this the stringy puppets and like in monochromatic. Well, I mean, I guess it's like gold and black, so it's duochromatic, I guess. <laughs> Um, and there, and it's like a narration, like a children's story. I mean, I thought that was just captivated and really had me there, but, um, I, I, yeah, I, I probably would have been where you were until I heard about, no, no, this, the first film actually has a lot more to say. Uh, and then I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And I just haven't because I'm not a big horror fan, but I'm excited too, because when I saw this trailer, I was like, nope, that's dope. So I'm going to check that out. Yeah. This is another one, like like free guy, which I've seen the trailer for a billion times since I started going back to theaters mm-hmm. and just every time I see it, I'm just like, eh, okay. Like the, the get out trailer, the us trailer, some of the more recent horror stuff. I'm like, you know what? That looks kind of good. But mm-hmm. this one, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not thinking like this looks terrible or anything. It's just like nothing about it grabs me. Um, I've never seen anything from the director. I recognize a couple of the actors like, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen and um, Coleman Domingo but yeah for whatever reason it's just like totally down the middle for me uh, nothing grabs me nothing shoes me away it's just maybe if it comes to HBO or something I'll, I'll check it out but otherwise I'll probably end up not really seeing it that's fair uh, you know and especially when we're talking horror movies like it's not they're definitely not for everybody yeah. um, and 
I would say that they're not for me. But as I wrote about in my Nighthouse review, um, I'm really liking this new wave of horror where these movies actually mean something. Uh, you know, like uh, like I mentioned, like Get Out and It Follows. And I didn't mention It Follows, but um, I do like It Follows. Um, and, you know, The Invisible Man and um, you know, The Night House. Like, I, I really like modern horror horror that's not, you know, just your typical hack and slash. Um, I like how these movies are finally meaning something and give me characters that I care about. <laughs> um, well, it's probably just different subgenres of horror right like alien and the shining meant something mm-hmm. back in the 70s yeah. but well but i mean like i but feel then like there's the halloween sequels or friday the 13th which is just a different type of horror well but that's what i mean i feel like they kind of like moved on from being something and maybe or even had intent to be to mean something and then eventually they just came how much blood and gore and nudity can we throw into a movie and just be silly and then that's kind of just where they landed for a while because that's what sells tickets. <laughs> sure. And then, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, so we got, you know, like six Saw sequels. Uh, and then, you know, nobody went to go see It Follows. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I just, I like this, this new wave. I like, I, I like the remake of Hollow or the reboot of Halloween. So, like, I, you know, am totally down for these. Like, I'm totally good if a movie wants to be like, hey, we're going to make a new one and we're just going to ignore this portion of it. Like, I, I think in theory, I'm more like, or I, I think in I, it's it's weird. I think I would normally be the kind of person that would be like, no, you made your mistakes, live up to it and own it. But also, I'm kind of like, but like Jordan Peele wasn't in charge of these things at the time. He was just getting started in his career, yeah. um, you know, or studying for his career, all that, or getting you know internships and whatnot. Like he wasn't, you know, he didn't have any bearings over what the original Candyman movies did. So. Uh, you know, same thing with like David Gordon Green wasn't around when the original Halloween came out. Um, so, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm okay if movies want to do this, and especially like it gives me hope because it's not like look like the next Fast and Furious movie. They're gonna have to acknowledge all of them. You can't just make another Fast and Furious movie and be like, oh yeah, we're gonna just completely uncanonize everything after Furious Seven or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, we're just gonna discount eight and nine because they're garbage movies. Um, you know, they can't just be like it's Fast Ten but it's really eight. Like they can't do that. Um, and they shouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, but if they want to be like, Oh, we're making, you know, going back and making that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm just inconsistent on my things. Uh, like, cause that's what it's sounding like to me. But, um, but yeah. And uh, you were mentioning that Nia DaCosta. So I got my people mixed up. Um, I think she's, uh, she's probably most known for doing this ghost tape TV series. She did a movie called little woods. Um, little woods. I do want to see because it's got, Lily James and Tessa Thompson, and I like them both. And if I see like up and coming actors in a small indie, mm-hmm. then I normally like to see it because you know something must have drawn them to it. So sure, yeah. Um, and it looks like she's attached to um, the Marvels, the Captain Marvel um, sequel, which will have the Marvel family. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. I know, <laughs> but her being attached gets me excited about this. I was mixing her up for uh, Ava DuVernay, who because oh, uh, yeah. they have kind of they don't have similar names, but it's just like they're up and coming people that have three letter first names. But she did uh, Salma, and When They See Us was kind of her big breakout um, for that. So that's what I, that's who I was getting confused. Uh, but but we you know we talked about Jordan Peele is writing on this as well. 
um, and uh, Wynn Rosenfield, who um, isn't a name I recognize, but uh, let's see, producer, executive producer for Black, Black Klansman. Really love that movie. Uh, executive producer for the Paramount Plus Twilight Zone. Um, some other stuff on here that I've never heard of. But like, and he has the name Wynn, so. Yeah, I mean, obviously. <laughs> Uh, so like he's got you know pretty pretty respectable reputation too. Um, produced Nova Science now, which has um, oh gosh, uh, what's his name? Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I was mm. just blanking on his name. Um, yeah, so like there's some pretty good talent behind this. Uh, of course, the uh, the cast we also or we mentioned Yaha Abdul Mantine the second, um, and of course Tony Todd coming back in his role. Uh, or reprising his role from the first movie, and um, the other the other big name here uh, is Coleman Domingo, who is just excellent in Euphoria. So um, yeah, that's uh, there's a lot of talent here. Uh, I think uh, I'm I'm into this kind of new wave of horror movies. I'm really 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 interested in seeing this one. I don't I'm not sure I'll get to the theaters to see it just because of my schedule. But in terms mm-hmm. of anticipation level, I'm very excited for this one. Yo, and nice. also because I'll have to watch the first one first. Right. So, uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's my thoughts. That's where I'll leave things. Um, I don't think I have much more to say. So. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it'll be good because Jordan Peele's attached and because of all the stuff that you were saying. It's just, I'm a busy guy. And this isn't like, I need to go see this. So mm-hmm. I probably won't get to it for a while, if at all. Yeah. And that's totally all right. Uh, well, we can move on to our stiff topic then. Feels weird only doing one, but um, this is all, all oh, the movies. Attraction, yeah. All the movies came out last last week, and then with Legend of the Ten Rings coming out next week, yo, know, people don't want just that one week of box office. So, right. let Candyman clean up, and that's it. Um, so, yeah, um, let's see. Uh, Fantasia and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, as always, I'll defer to you which one we'll talk about first. Which I know you're going to defer to whichever one you have notes for first. Well, I was thinking that, but, um, well, it works out both ways. I have Fantasia first, but uh, watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit second, there are callbacks to Fantasia, so it kind of works to talk about Fantasia first. I watched them in reverse order, because I watched Fantasia this morning, uh, Mm. and I watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit last night with my wife, because that was the one she was more interested in, so, because she hadn't seen it, and because she fell asleep during Fantasia. (laughs) whenever she watched it way before she met me so all right so fantasia all right let's see here where we at my notes there we go uh this is a 1940 film if you're interested in checking it out uh it's streaming on disney plus um synopsis for this movie is a collection of animated interpretations of great works of western classical music i mean all right (laughs) um i never read these things before i I just copy and paste you just copy I mean, but like, you know, it's just, it's whatever IMDb's, you know, main, main thing is. I probably could just write, start writing my own things. Um, but this is more fun to be like, all right, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And a little bit of history. So uh, again, I kind of thought like this movie was held a little bit in higher regard. Uh, and maybe, but maybe it's just because like when I was growing up, like I know Fantasia 2000 was like right about when I was 2000. So five. Um, right. So like, I remember that being a massive massive thing and everybody loved it but i you know could see how a five-year-old um could love you know, would love stuff like this i i don't know if fantasia 2000 is held in higher regard um 
I don't I, like I I have no idea. Uh, but it was just interesting looking at my letterbox, and there was like a couple of five star reviews, but mostly like pretty middling reviews. I just thought this film was held in higher regards, and maybe that's just you know my. It might my be yours follow. because I follow a hundred plus people, and I got a lot of four and five stars on there. So yeah, and I wonder like that bell curve on Letterboxd, um, you know, it kind of where it where it lands. Um, Here it is. The average being three point nine. Okay, so maybe maybe it's yeah. not quite. Yeah, and it's mostly it's, it's mostly, mostly four. Yeah. So it's apparently just people in my community. You know, mostly. Let's see. It looks like the lowest I've got is it is a two star rating, but I do have a full five out of five. So, so um, be careful of generalizations. So be careful of generalizations. Is the point. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I just thought that this was like widely considered to be one of the best uh, animated films of all time, and there is other accolades to to back that up. So like, it does mm-hmm. have a seven point seven on IMDb. That's a really impressive score. A ninety five on Metacritic and a ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so all that's really impressive. Um, yes. Still. In 1942, uh, this was given two honorary Oscars, one to Leopold uh, Stakow- uh, Stakowski, um, quote, for their unique achievement in the creation of a new form of visualized music in Walt Disney's production, Fantasia, thereby widening the scope of motion picture as entertainment as and as an art form. So honorary Oscar for doing incredible things to, for the advancement of film two years after this comes out. That's really impressive. Yeah. Um, as well as an honorary Oscar that same year to Walt Disney, as well as a couple others, um, for their outstanding con- contribution to the advancement of the use of sound in motion pictures through the production of Fantasia. Um, so again, not a not a small deal. Um, not insignificant. Not insignificant. Yeah. Uh, this was also inducted into the National Film Registry in uh, 1990, um, which I think the first class was like the late 80s. So that um and this has um three afi mentions uh one is in the original 1998 100 years 100 movies this was number 58 and then in the 2007 revised version uh revised vision revised version gosh (laughs) (laughs) this was uh only nominated so not actually on the list um and then in the 10 top 10 list this was given number five in the top 10 animation um there was a sequel, Fantasia 2000. We already mentioned there was apparently also a planned uh, sequel for Fantasia 2006 that had mm-hmm. some stuff working on it uh, or being worked on it and then eventually got scrapped. And some of the stuff that had been made just kind of got shuffled around to other projects. Mm-hmm. Um, there apparently is a new Fantasia, Fantasia title being developed for Disney+. Plus. Um, I don't know if that's a is. limited series. Yeah, I think they wound up turning the other stuff into shorts. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is just a short collection. Um, and Hopefully. of course, this is the uh, the the um, the segments in here. Um, the Nutcracker and the Sorcerer's Apprentice are the basis for the Disney films, The Sorcerer's Apprentice and the Nutcracker and the Four Realms. So, not a great track record. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and of course, this is the inspiration for many theme park attractions as well as video games, um, such as Kingdom Hearts and Epic Mickey and things like that. And just go to Disneyland and you'll see. You know the the Fantasia hat from the Sorcerer's Apprentice, um, true, and plenty of other attractions, merchandising, all that. I don't think I need to list it all out for everybody. Um, so there's that, uh, Robert. Uh, I think I'd seen this movie at some point, but it had been a while, uh, or I don't know if I'm just confusing it with Fantasia 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been a hot second. I really didn't remember anything about this other than random clips I'd seen, uh, and I'm excited. I was excited because. This is a classic. 
um, regarded as a classic. Uh, what about you? Is this your first time? Have you seen it before? Yeah, it was my first time. I'd never seen it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I had always heard of Fantasia 2000 because, like you said, it came out when we were young. Um, and I didn't know there was a different Fantasia that was just Fantasia until you and I were making the schedule for this for this podcast. So um, I had never seen either one, and I was yeah, I was eager to check it out, see what the fuss was about. Cool. So uh, then, what did you think about the fuss? Uh, did you like this movie? Love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I will say <laughs> low side of like it. Okay. Uh, I'll go to high, high side of okay. I think we're about in the same the yeah. same area because I only say low side of like I'm only in like it at all because I love the idea mm-hmm. behind it. Um, mm-hmm. If you gave these exact pieces of music to a hundred different like talented animators and said make your own visualization of this movie, you're going to get a hundred different versions of each one of these little segments. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love so much. It just got me thinking about art and the subjectivity behind it and how it moves different people in different ways and how it makes you picture different things. And um, I'm sure like for the for the Mickey one, they were saying, all right, make something about Mickey with this piece of music. But for some of the other ones, it's just like a lot of abstract mm-hmm. visualization just flying around your screen. And there, that's when I'm just like, this is really cool. Um, so that, that's what I really enjoyed about it. Um, but at the same time, it didn't really grab me for two plus hours. Yeah, same. Uh, and Apart I'm, from the Mickey segment, I'm almost the opposite, actually, because uh, you oh, said yeah? you, you appreciate a lot of the, like visual visualization of the art, um, which I definitely appreciate. But I just don't know that I enjoyed it in this medium. Like, I would love to go see this at you know a the- a local theater, um, like um, a performing theater, um, and an actual band playing with this projector mm. behind it or an actual orchestra playing with this projector behind it. I'm very interested in that. Um, it just didn't really catch my attention sitting on a couch and watching it at home, you know, watching the abstractness. I, the things that did catch me were the narrative driven things such as the sorcerer's apprentice, um, the, the, the last segment uh, and the um, um, uh, gosh, the, <laughs> the, the narrative driven ones uh, really kind of, kind of caught me, but I didn't, but I also didn't necessarily feel caught by the evolution one. I'm just going to call these by like what the what they were. You know, there's the unicorn right. one, and there's the evolution one, and there's the Nutcracker. It was like the My Little Pony one. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's the unicorn one. That was okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but like the ones that that like actually I felt had a had a narrative. Um, like were were the things that interested me. But I think yeah. had I seen this in you know a performing theater with an orchestra. Um, I would have been more along the lines where you are, where it's like, no, just show me the visualization and hearing these live. Right. So that's, yeah, that's why I say I'm only on low side of like it just because I like the idea of it so much. Yeah. But just, I'd probably be similar to you where it probably would have been more, more gripping to see it live or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, while I, I appreciated what was going on with like stars flying around and different colors and shapes and stuff. It, I was just like, I don't, like I said, it was just the idea that I love so much. I didn't really feel like I wanted to watch that 25 minute segment that these people put together. Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, kind of in a similar vein, like I elevated my, my rating because 
I appreciate what the film is going for, and it's hard not to admire the technicality behind it. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, but kind of like you, I don't know that I was ever gripped. I don't know that I wanted to really spend two hours here. Uh, if this was a collection of shorts on YouTube um, that I could just watch one at a time, like I'm maybe more interested, or I maybe maybe would be more captivated. Um, but I this it, it it's it's I'm not trying to say it's bad by any means. It just this, this is the other thing when you have segment stuff. Um, like, if I don't like everything, then it's going to impact my rating. And so, like, I was talking about the Coen brothers with Foster uh, recently. And, like, I think the only Coen brothers movie that I really don't like is um, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And it's because I like about two of the eight segments. Yeah. And I don't like the rest of them. So, like, while I really liked one or two segments, I didn't like the rest of the movie, which leads me into not really ever wanting to visit that movie again um, unless it was released like as a collection of shorts on Netflix, which maybe was the right way to do it in the first place. Um, but I, you know, so for these, for this Fantasia one, like I didn't really like the unicorn one at all, the My Little Pony one. And that felt like it took forever. Um, I, I didn't, I, don't, I really liked um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice and I really liked the, um, the very last one with the combination of Ave Maria and the, uh, mm-hmm. um, gosh, what's the name of that <laughs> that piece? See, right, that's another thing is I don't have good enough appreciation of classical music. Um, I feel like if I had a better breadth of knowledge of all that, that would have helped as well. Because, Night on Bald Mountain, by the way. Right, yeah, that that's the thing. It's I would never in a million years have been able to remember that uh, what the what the mixture between the two was. Like the mm-hmm. composer said, these two have never been put together, or, or however he put it. It's right. it's it's. Pro- I appreciate it for the experimental filmmaking of it, and I never ever want to bash experimental filmmaking, especially mm-hmm. during like the early days of Disney when they were actually pioneers and doing stuff that was new and mm-hmm. letting people try stuff and not being like they are today. Um, but you mentioned how great the, the the animation was. That was one of the very few things I wrote down for this whole thing is just how sophisticated it seemed, the, the animation for a movie that's almost 80 years old. Um, like the the Mickey thing, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, I, f- I feel like it looked like it could have been animated today. I don't know if it was, if it's been like restored or anything for Disney Plus, which is it's where I watched be. it. But yeah, either way, it looked great. I just wanted to throw that out. Yeah, and it, it really did. Um, and you know, especially after watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which we'll talk about. Um, remarkable achievements, but you could definitely tell that this was trying something new, and it's it's not quite perfect, um, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, um, for sure, this, this animation was great. I mean, that's the other thing about 2D animation. Like, you can always preserve it to make it look like it was made today. Um, yeah. Because you just use better equipment to digitally transfer it, so I'm sure there had to be some sort of overhauling for it to get to uh, to Disney Plus. Um, I'm sh- I'm po- I'm almost positive they did it, but um, yeah, I, I, you're right. It looks remarkable. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. I, so I didn't write anything down about either of these because I've watched them both in the last you know 24 hours, like really 14 hours. But um, so you're the opposite of me. I watched it last weekend or last week like before a packed weekend of not even thinking about movies so right right yeah uh, it's just i and i was really busy all last week and then had mm-hmm. you know sunday to watch it's sunday and monday morning to watch them 
so yeah, I uh, I didn't really write down anything um, for these, which is fine. But uh, um, I I don't know how much we can talk about this movie, right? Because like we've we've said it all. I feel like already um, because this is kind of a collection of shorts. I I maybe it's worth noting like for Fantasia two thousand. I did look up on Letterbox by the way, and it has a three point five average. Um, the like bar scale looks a little bit like higher towards the middle than fan- the original mm-hmm. did, but also the Fantasia 2000 is only an hour and 15 minutes. So it's not quite half the length. That's something I'm a lot more interested in. Uh, I'm probably going to check out Fantasia 2000 like here sometime soon because um, it's compared to uh, two. I am interested in watching 2000 and it looks like there is at least the Sorcerer's Apprentice is shared. Um, so they, you know, we'll revive that. But, uh, you know, but I'm more interested in an hour and 15 ver- minutes of this. Not quite two hours, especially if they have that 15 minute intermission. Um, I I don't even necessarily understand why, like, maybe kids would like this movie. This feels like it should have been made for adults or like little children that don't comprehend a lot yet. You know, where they could just hear pretty things and see pretty things. And, yeah, and I think, yeah, it's like toddler age and then probably not appealing to children who are more into something like Pixar. And then as you get to teenage years and develop your critical thinking better, maybe you're like, Oh, I see what's going on here. That's interesting. Um, But it does teach evolution, which I was surprised for the time. That was the next thing I was going to bring up. It has a whole, I don't, I don't know how long each section was, but that dinosaurs one felt like it was a decent chunk of the whole thing. And I was yeah. kind of surprised about that, which was cool. It, uh, I think if I'm looking at the right track from the soundtrack, I think that was the right of spring, which is 22 minutes and 28 seconds. That feels mm. about right. Yeah. Because uh, there was that. And then the pastoral sympathy symphony, which was the unicorn one was also 22 minutes. Um, those were kind of the two big. Cent- yeah. you're. Uh, I thought the same thing too. And like, not that I necessarily think it affects the movie in a positive or negative way. No, I was just, just surprised that a ch- children's, production company in 1940 would be be daring enough to and allowed to teach evolution like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just interesting um yeah now now it wouldn't be a surprise at all if like no. Fantasia was made for the first time but it was just surprising to me and no, noteworthy as a 1942 or what is that right 1940 right yeah release yeah absolutely i i thought the exact same thing yeah it wouldn't surprise me today and again i don't think it necessarily impacts you because know, also i mean they this is an interpretation of somebody's thing and mm-hmm. you know so how wherever you land on the evolution versus any other creation theory or you know life theory like this is this person's intent and interpretation and i think it's done kind of beautifully um mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I think that visually it's I, everything visually about this movie is really solid those were the two that i pointed out that i really liked was the one with evolution and dinosaurs because i liked how the dinosaurs were all animated Mm -hmm. and then of course the sorcerer's apprentice one which i just felt that was the most straightforward narrative and i enjoyed that one the most and the music was fun in that too yeah i the the two that i noted were the sorcerer's apprentice and then the kind of combination night on bald mountain and ave maria Mm -hmm. Um, because i think that was just especially when it got to that ave maria and it ended i thought that was just beautiful Um, yeah uh, and great. And of course, The Night on Bald Mountain is really, really famous, I think, in a lot of ways from this movie. Um, I don't know. I'm not a historian. <laughs> uh, but I know a lot of times when you're talking about Night on Bald Mountain, this is it's referenced like I've seen in Fantasia or something like that. Um, but those are the two I noted. I, I just thought for those longer ones, you know, the unicorn one and the um, 
uh, or the My Little Pony one, as, as you said, and the uh, the the evolution one. I just felt like at a certain point they just felt a little bit too long for me, and I was just like kind of zoning out. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't that's like the kind of the point where the dinosaurs start coming is kind of where I was just like I just feel like this is a little too stretched out. Um, like it, it's not quite holding my interest. Um, and uh, and then the the pony one or the unicorn one, the point where there's all the topless centaurs was the point <laughs> where I was kind of like checking out. And that was also that, that was, was another weird. surprise. <laughs> my wife walked in. And I was like, there was just like naked centaurs they weren't even wearing like little mermaid stuff or anything it's just like what is going on here <laughs> well then they were wearing mermaid stuff later it's like, i know okay. it was i was like i was just baffled by that whole thing like it started yeah. off they just walked out it was like i was not expecting <laughs> this same yeah um i'm trying to <laughs> i'm also wondering so like this is, this is just a clarifying question mm-hmm. but uh, we both watched it on Disney Plus, and so they have that bumper at the beginning about how there's like some potentially yeah. insensitive stuff. I didn't notice anything. Um, I don't know if they're just putting that as a disclaimer on anything that was made before 1980. But I also I was either 100 percent in this movie or like 40 percent in. I was kind of checking in and out the whole time watching it because I would just start to zone out because it wouldn't quite grab me for a home viewing. So like I don't know like is there something that I'm missing that's clearly obvious or is this just standard Disney protocol to attach that bumper to anything made before you know, 1980 or so? So do you remember the exact wording of that? It said something about how there, we, we know that there's stuff that's offensive here. Oh, culture. And, I'm looking at it now. And this treatment of cultures learned yeah, from mis- a spark conversation as well as um, like, it, it wasn't okay then it's not okay now, but rather than censor it, we're going to show you and you know, Hopefully people will learn from our mistakes was essentially the. I like that sentiment. I'm yeah, me too. A hundred percent in favor of not censoring stuff like that. I um, think, I think there's a difference. Like scrubs went through and edited a, a, two episodes from their digital catalog because they use blackface. Mm-hmm. And until they can find, and, and the creator said, until I could find a way to feel good about putting that back on there, it's just not going to be on there. Like until I could find a way to maybe like we reshoot it or something or we put storyboards up or like, but he's just, they're just not there. Um, and so like, I, I, I respect and appreciate that. Um, but I also am totally cool with just, let's just acknowledge our mistakes and move on and say they weren't okay. They're not okay. And um, we promise to do better moving forward. Right. Like they have that on gone with the wind and yeah, maybe should on green book, but yeah, um, and uh, I think, uh, I, and I also think there are some things that they just don't show, like Song of the South. And like, mm, yeah, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But like, probably a good call based off yeah. of some of the things I've read. Probably a good call to just not have that one readily available. Or like the like Dumbo, I think, might have been might, probably like has a disclaimer at the start because the crows. Yeah, it's a whole other conversation with right. lots of other points. Well, anyway, like, um, did you notice anything while watching no, this? No, that's the thing is that I didn't notice. So, uh, I mean. And that's not to say we're the end all be all. And like I said, right, I was kind yeah. of tuning in and out. I, to me, it was just like a lot of colors and fantasy creatures. And maybe, well, and then I was just wondering, I like, is it the topless centaurs? Is that what people are up in arms about? Maybe though, maybe something like that represents a people group, and we're just two guys who don't know enough of that sort of thing. I really don't know what it might have been in that movie. Yeah, because um... like in Harry Potter. 
goblins are offensive to Jews mm-hmm. be- because of how the goblins are described and how, you know, they're very reminiscent of all the poor Jewish stereotypes. So maybe there's something like that in Fantasia, but I, I really don't know. So it looks That's just like a little conjecture. Yeah, it looks like from this one website that I'm leaving or that I'm reading, uh, Fantasia included a character named Sunflower, a dark-skinned centauret who tends to uh, who tends to the light-skinned centaurets or centaurs. Despite this character being edited out of the movie decades ago, Disney has still chosen to include a content advisory award or a content warning advisory for this movie due to its history with contributing to racist Im- imagery. So it sounds like they have edited it out, but they still have the disclaimer there. I see. Which doesn't super make a lot of sense. No. <laughs> because if they've edited it out, then you've done that. But like Maybe it's for know, the I, people who knew it was there. Just sure. to like we acknowledge that we did something wrong. Yeah, and like, you know, it doesn't mean that you edit something out and that forgives you, you know. So mm-hmm. still having that in good faith, I think, is so so it's not we didn't notice something, it was it's not there. So that's that's comforting to know. Yeah. Cause I I didn't notice that. Um uh, but at least it was that right section. <laughs> right, <laughs> was, yeah. Um, yeah, like, like I said, I think I'm more interested if this is shorts. Um, so I really hope that whatever Disney Plus project they're making for this would be shorts. Um, and almost even make it, you know, like this weird comparison, but like Love, Death, and Robots. Like where you just give a couple of filmmakers like just free reign to be like, hey, here's some music. Make some animation for it and we'll release it. Like mm-hmm. um, like I feel like that would be a really, really interesting thing. I'd, I'd watch it. Um uh, especially if it was like, you know, if they got Brad Bird to do one and if they got, you know, after Baby Driver, I want Edgar Wright to do one. Um, or lesser known animators. Yeah, but yeah, lesser known animators give give people a chance to build up a, a filmography and a reputation yeah. and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think that's the route I would go with. I'm not, like, I'm going to watch Fantasia 2000, but if they come out with another Fantasia that's two hours long, I'm going to either have to watch it in sittings, which it was nice there was the intermission. I could have just... You know, stopped. And there's nothing like narratively linking all this together. There's no reason you can't just pause it, leave right. and resume it later. Like there's no there's no reason I couldn't have just done it like that other than it's just the spirit behind it management. all. It's just, that's similar. Right. So, yeah. And maybe this would have been different seeing it in a theater, you know, where it's not quite the live orchestra, but it is you know, with people. And when I'm in a theater, I find it really hard to focus on anything other than the screen. Less mm-hmm. people are stupid. Mm-hmm. Um but where I'm, whereas when I'm at home, I have a million things to get distracted by. But uh, yeah, right. So uh, I'm gonna check out Fantasia 2000. Are you like, are you interested in like seeing more stuff like this? Uh, maybe at some point in the future, but I'm not gonna be actively seeking it out right now. I have too much other stuff I want to watch. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. And I would probably say same myself. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's see. So then, um, what do you think? Is this a goat? Because I love the idea behind it so much and because it was produced during Disney's golden age of groundbreaking, I'll say yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go pretty much exactly where you say uh, to um, it's, it's not because I love this film so much. It's because, you know, the criterion collection, um, which has kind of been our standard for, are we in, you know, putting this in that um, it, it highlights important and influential work. And mm-hmm. um you know, this isn't like a, a really meaningful film necessarily. This isn't, you know, gonna change people's lives. Uh, but the the progress and advancement that this film had and impacted in animation as well as sound and sound mixing and all that, um, you know, those two honorary Oscars that are mentioned is enough to get this in the goats category for me. Um, 
as well. Uh, same with, you know, when I said like the good and the bad, the ugly, like it's not a movie I particularly love, but I can admire and respect what it's done. And we've, we've done that for several movies before. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm happy to add this one uh, as well. Um, and to say, this is for sure a staple of like, this is a stepping stone on where Hollywood has come for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, any last thoughts? Nope. Cool. Um, I, I'm honestly not sure I'll ever watch this one again, uh, especially if I do wind up liking Fantasia 2000. I might watch clips from this one, but that would be it. Maybe I'll watch the Source of the Apprentice scene a few times. Yeah. Uh, cool. So then our other uh, movie is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? This is a 1988 film. Uh, this is also streaming on Disney+, Plus, which was shocking because there's a million and a half Warner characters in here. So they must have had yeah. a contract worked out. Um, I didn't look into the history of it, but my guess is there is a Disney Warner contract. Uh, so a synopsis for this movie is a toon hating detective is a cartoon rabbit's only hope to prove his innocence when he is accused of murder. Um, also a film that I just thought was a little bit high, I guess generalization generalizations, like we just said are, are not a great thing. Um, but um, let's see here. This has a uh, 3.9. So almost exactly where Fantasia is on the letterbox scale. A little bit more leaning towards like that four out of five stars than five out of five. But I guess a lot more people with higher ratings. Anyway, I'll just take back that statement. <laughs> yeah, it might just be your letterbox circle. It probably is. Uh, probably is. Uh, so anyway, this is a, uh, also a 7.7 on IMDb, which is, again, really respectable. 83 on Metacritic and a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but also understanding that both these films came out before Rotten Tomatoes existed. So these are critics finally submitting a review in, you know, past. Um, uh, let's see, Oscars. We have four wins and three nominations. Uh, this uh, was nominated for cinematography, nominated for art and set decoration, and nominated for sound. This won Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Editing. This also won a Special Achievement Award to Richard Williams for animation direction and the creation of cartoon characters. Also worth noting that this was the first live-action animated hybrid to win multiple Oscars since Mary Poppins, uh, which had been a hot second. So, uh, yeah, lots of Oscar love for this, as well as BAFTAs. I like to include that since it's kind of an international award. Um, this one, Best Special Effects, and was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. This was adapted by a book called Who Cancelled Roger Rabbit? <laughs> or Censored Roger Rabbit. Mm. Um, uh, adapted screenplay, cinematography, editing, and production design all nominated in the BAFTAs. It's also got a nomination for best score uh, in the Grammy Awards that year, uh, 1989. Um, This was inducted into the National Film Registry in 2016. This was recently announced uh, that it's getting a 4K release in uh, December, as well as... uh, So apparently IMDb has this listed as getting a sequel next year, but when I was looking into it, it looks like there has been like Zemeckis has talked about, there's a script, it exists, it's great. We just need to, Disney to green light it. Um, mm. And, but, but there's just like some things about it that Disney's not okay with, you know, like the Jessica rabbit character would you know, need to be altered in some ways. And there's <laughs> the, the main, the, the main human character has since passed. So they've, they said it includes him. And so they would digitally recreate him. I think, you know, Disney's obviously okay with doing <sighs> that. Um, just I, I don't know. I wonder. Simple. Look, it, it's almost one of those too little, too late things, right? Like, right. and it's as much as I think if if Zemeckis is calling a script great, cool, uh, I'm in for it. It's it's almost just like, uh, I mean, 
probably don't need it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to that's not to impede on how uh, how we feel about this film. So, uh, Robert, I went first. Uh, actually, no, I, whatever. Uh, do you like this movie? Love it, hate it, dislike it? I think it's just okay. Uh, I like it. Just just like it. Yeah, me too. Um, right in the middle. Um, I forgot to ask the history. Did you uh, have you seen this one before? Is this your first time? No, I've never seen it. Uh, it's my first time. One I've heard a lot about and was happy to check out. Yeah, uh, I'd seen this several times as a child um, and haven't seen it in probably 15 years. So, right. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, so same with Vantage. So this could be a nostalgia episode for me. Uh, <laughs> and by the so, way, I just want to say uh, Zemeckis saying a script is good probably doesn't hold too much weight since he hasn't done anything good since Castaway in 2000. Um, that's fair. So just wanted to throw that out there. I was scrolling through his IMDb. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely thinking it. <laughs> like he's done yeah. Forrest Gump, Castaway, and the Back to the Future movies. And not to minimize any of those, I love them all. Well, yeah. I like Castaway. Yeah. But I love the other ones. But it's not like he's no Spielberg. Right, right. It'd be anyway. it'd almost be similar to like if Coppola were to do it as well. And you're like, yeah, but you also made The Godfather Part 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, so anyway. Uh, and you haven't you know made anything in 20 years. Anyway, um, let's see. Uh, so we both just kind of write in the end like this. Uh, we have to start off by talking about the the combination of animation and live action and how this was really I, I was I really wanted to watch the behind the scenes like how on earth did they make this? Um, you know, is it superimposed imagery? Is it uh, some sort of filmmaking technique? That I don't because like this isn't just a digital insert because this is back when film was available exclusively on reels. Um, so like, I'm so baffled by how they did that. Um, it's, it looks ex- extraordinary, uh, but it's just, you know, you can tell this is the first of its kind as well, which we can talk about a little bit more, but, uh, we have to start off talking about the incorporation of 2d animation and live action. Yeah. I would say to me, it just looked like superimposed, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it looked great. There are times you can tell that it's like, if you're watching something like Paddington or like Lord of the Rings with Gollum or something like that, mm-hmm. it looks real for the most part. Um, but here you can tell, oh, it's a guy just has his hand in a fist or something. And then they right. added something later on. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely some of the moments where it happened, but I mean, it's, it wasn't necessarily like super obvious if you, you know, if you're really trying to nitpick, if you're really trying to be a stickler, if you're trying to find a reason to hate this movie, you can, you can do that, I guess. But like, no child is gonna like care and for this being the first it's done pretty extraordinarily well um you know there's times where you can see you know a small jerk from a person that kind of cuts the animation from what they were intending for or whatever but like it's fine like it doesn't take away from the achievement that this is and the other thing is just kind of the lighting i watched this on a blu-ray disc so i don't know maybe i assume you watch this on disney plus as well yeah um, so I watched this on my Blu-ray disc, and I don't know if it's a pro- if it's fixed there, but it feels like anytime, specifically like Rogers on screen, um, it it's like flickering back and forth between bright and dark. Like the color is not stable. Hmm. So I don't know. Did you did you kind of experience anything that? like that? No. Okay, it could just be. I'm sure they upscaled it as well because you can already buy it in ultra high definition on Vudu. Um, so I want. So my guess is they upscaled it when they released it on Disney Plus. Um, and just kind of smoothed all that out. So that was uh, um, that was really like the other thing I noticed. But again, it's just kind of brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's definitely groundbreaking for sure. 
Um, so, so kind of, what keeps you from going into love it? What kind of keeps you at the like it then? Uh, it, it's just I don't I don't know. There wasn't anything that made me love it. Um, it was good. It was fine. It was fun, but it never took like that extra step that made me think, "Wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen," or "I'm fully engrossed in this movie right now. I I can't look away." It's just it's a lot of fun. It's saying something legit. Um, the performances are fun. The the animation looks good. I like the cartoon jokes. You know all that kind of stuff. But overall, it's just it's like good movie. Great job, guys. Let's move on to the next thing now. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Um, I w- yeah, I would say kind of one of the things, um, kind of along that lines is I mean I think Bob Hoskins is giving a really great performance, um, but I don't know that I care about his character at all. Uh, I mean, they try to make you care about his character with the whole brother death thing. Um, but it's just like so much of this movie was predictable. Like they definitely went for technological innovation, but it almost feels like there was a recycled script somewhere of something that was just really unimpressive and inspiring. And they're like, hey, well, we want to do this really interesting new thing. How about we just take this script and nobody will notice that it's just kind of OK. Like if this was just a standard movie, like to like just regular there's that argument again if this movie had its core things changed it wouldn't be the same right yeah if this movie was just you know live action if they put a person in a bunny costume you know i or you know and you know got some bombshell to play uh jessica rabbit and all that like if they if they did a lot of that stuff just did it with practical stuff i would like this movie a lot less Um, but isn't that part of the like that's what makes the movie the movie you know like right It, it absolutely is i'm just saying like you know it just because it didn't have anything like special like that, because it felt like the story and the script were pretty weak, uh, and the characters that weren't animated were pretty weak uh, to me. Like it just never ha- it didn't have any wow factor other than this is an incredible technical technological achievement. Well, I don't um, totally agree with that either because okay. I, I think it's trying. It's like we like to say about Edgar Wright. You know, he's doing a send-up of zombie movies while making a great zombie movie or doing a send-up of a cop movie while making a great cop movie. Like, this is a send-up of a neo-noir movie while making a great noir movie, you know? Um, it's got all the slapstick and silly stuff, but it's also got all the the classic, um, I don't know, benchmarks of what you would expect from a noir movie of, you know, it takes place in the 40s and this right. guy wearing the hat and, you know, smoking cigars and all that kind of stuff. and constantly drinking and he's got something dark haunting his past there was a lot of alcohol in this movie <laughs> yeah i was surprised like it, it was wasn't quite a disney movie but um in, in terms of its innocence but yeah i thought it did a great job of kind of goofing on the noir while also doing a great job of being a noir um so that that's why i like it does exactly what the genre asks for while adding the the tune stuff which mm-hmm gives it an, an extra fun wrinkle yeah um okay like i just i don't know maybe i just thought it wasn't quite anything superb or spectacular i think the movie kind of make like pokes fun at it as well because they're like this is your whole plan like interstates really like of course you're a tune because that's idiotic and like so they try to poke fun at it too so i mean i'm willing to forgive some of that stuff but it just doesn't change that you know who the villain is five seconds in um and not five five seconds from him appearing on screen um and there's no there's not necessarily any twists and turns or anything like that 
Um, does every story need twists and turns? No. Or does no, it not need to be not predictable? No, I'm not trying to say these are like these are things that keep me from liking the movie. I'm saying these are things that keep me from loving it because it didn't sure. necessarily feel fresh. So I'm not I'm not sure. trying to say I mean I am trying to say they're negative, but not not it not it affects my rating negatively. It just because it didn't have mm-hmm. these things, it didn't elevate it to a love it for me. So yeah. Um, so like I'm not I'm, tr- I'm not trying to sound down on it, but uh, um, I know I know I probably am. <laughs> I like sounding that it was like was it about gentrification and redlining almost? Yeah, absolutely. Like I was like I was not expecting this at all, and it worked really well. Yeah, that, that's um, what I was saying. If it otherwise up until that point when he started doing like the whole highway speech and all that, I was like, eh, this is whatever, it's fine. But that's when I was like, oh, this movie is actually out to say something. And it's, there's a purpose behind having the tunes and, and all that kind of stuff. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, giving giving it a reason. You know, like you, you're, you're, the movie's conceit needs to be motivated. So you can't just be like, we want to put cartoons in live action. All right, what's the purpose of it? Because we want to put cartoons in live action. Mm-hmm. No, here they have cartoons as a stand-in for downtrodden people, uh, look down upon people, uh, people who aren't given the same status as others in society. Um, so I, I really liked how that was all worked in, um, getting ri- getting rid of their their area of living. You know, all that was really well done. I, I really enjoyed all that. Yeah, and like uh, even like the the animation, uh, not characters, but like when you go to two town, like that just looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm um they did did a superb job there um the 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 visual effects on uh christopher lloyd when he becomes you know pure nightmare fuel is uh (laughs) uh is that i yeah that scared the pants off of me as a kid um yeah and yeah the cartoony humor was fun like when he pulls out the gun and it has the bullets that um you know each have a a special ability uh all that and then he just wastes them all (laughs) yeah so there's a question that came up are they keeping like sentient beings in boxes and crates? Yeah. So like there was the those bullets, and then there's the one scene where like the, the instruments, shoes. yeah, the shoes, and then there's instruments at the beginning, um, are like falling out of the crates when when he's looking around the studio a lot. It's like yeah, and I'm also do- I also don't think this is like Toy Story where if you don't see them, they're not sentient. No, exactly. That's <laughs> it's an, it just adds to its theme, you know. Yeah. Like they're not looked as. We looked it down as second or third class citizens and not on par with humans. Well, and you also have the the big bad judge. They mm-hmm. make sure to call him a judge who takes out vengeance and you know kills one of the shoes at the beginning for doing literally nothing. Right. Um, you know, just to make a point. So. Just to make a point to be like, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, and I can do this to you. Right. And uh, yeah. Um. By the way, I'm looking at the IMDb trivia right now. It says this movie was made by Disney's Touchstone Pictures. So uh, apparently th- that's how there was the cal- the existence of both of them. Disney must own Touchstone, gotcha. um, which I think is Warner now. Um, so Warner Brothers would only allow use of the biggest Toon stars if they got as much screen time as Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. So for that reason, they were always in pairs, mm-hmm. such as when they did the piano duel between Duck, uh, Daffy and Donald Duck. Yeah. They got as much screen time in the parachute scene with Bugs and Mickey. Mickey and Bugs. Um, really clever way to do that. Yeah, that was one of my uh, notes. It, it was cool to see those 
interacting. Like those are the seminal cartoon characters of the, the time, basically of all time. Right. And here they are in the movies, like in a movie together. Um, you know, the main one, Mickey and Bugs, here they are just kind of existing together. Uh, Daffy and Donald, you know, same thing. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really, really, really nice to see that kind of collaboration. Apparently this is the only time characters from Disney and Warner have appeared in a film together. Yeah, it doesn't uh, surprise me. Yeah, which which almost made me think like really like Space Jam like doesn't like especially the new one I haven't seen it but like doesn't that have like everything in it <laughs> or like it has everything Warner Brothers in it apparently yeah I was like or isn't there like like Ready Player One surely has I, I something you know because <laughs> it has every Easter egg imaginable in that movie yeah so. um, anyway I just yeah it was really nice to see these characters and to see how would Daffy Duck and and respond with Donald and you know, Goofy thrown in there and Goofy's not super on the screen, but like there's, he's definitely mentioned a lot. Like mm-hmm. there, <laughs> I'm so, so shocked this movie got a PG rating. Cause there's even that one line where Jessica rabbit says some, like they they imply that Robert Roger rabbit is really good in bed and she, and she's like better than Goofy. And it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like who needed that? <laughs> yeah. uh, but it also did make me chuckle. Um, but yeah, I mean like, Completely overlies sexualized, you know, sexualized Jessica Rabbit character. Yeah, we should mention that. Which was uncomfortable to watch at this time. Um, I don't know who this movie is geared for. Like, is this a kids movie or is this an adult movie? You know, or is this like who is this movie geared towards? And I think it's both, um, because it's rated PG and it's like it's not. It's just slapstick cartoon violence. But then there's also stuff like you and I are getting stuff out of it. So. Sure. Yeah. It's just like a more uh, mature kids movie. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah, I found myself uncomfortable with the Jessica Rabbit character, and a lot of, of it was a lot of it was just because, like, you know, I feel like there's that icon for like you know the most attractive cartoon character of all time, which like maybe isn't the biggest achievement, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it was also I I also just kind of felt underwhelmed i was like she just looks proportionately wrong like somebody get her to a chiropractor immediately (laughs) uh that was that's what i was thinking but whatever like (laughs) i'm sure that's not what most people are thinking Mm -hmm. um anyway (laughs) i also Uh, wanted to throw in the cleverness of like the opening scene i didn't realize that was a movie set like you're not supposed mm. to realize it's a movie set until it shows that it's a movie set and then the way that it introduces the baby being an actor. <laughs> I love that character a lot. It was like, all of a sudden he's got that voice in the, and he's asking Smoking for a cigar, a cigar and all that. Yeah. that was, I thought that was really good. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that might be my favorite scene of this movie um, because it, because of the way that it sets everything up, you know, because it's on this movie set and you're like, Oh, this is a really charming animated movie. And then it walks off and you're like, this is a really good transition. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, kind of remarkable and you see like these characters going all the time and they're like i wanted stars not birds or whatever it's like who cares like, mm-hmm. um you know and you kind of get a sense of toon toontown and kind of the interaction it's, it's it's in a lot of ways like watching zootopia you know um except with you know everything 3d animated then this one is 2d and 3d um or 2d and live action <laughs> um yeah, and also going back to that PG thirteen, we yo know, we already mentioned there's so much alcohol in this movie, um, yeah. and there's a surprising amount of violence. And I already said Christopher Lloyd is nightmare fuel, um, 
there's a there's a good amount of sex implied. I mean, not just with the Jessica Rabbit character, but there's one point that I noticed. I made a comment to my wife because he's the Bob Hoskins character is trying to pull um, Dolores like under the bar top, and he just grabs her by her shirt where her cleavage is and just mm. pulls out. It's like that's right, grab her by the boobs. That's how you get a person mm. down. Like that's got to be the most effective way to do that. And he's, <laughs> There's just like this, like overt. This 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 movie's kind of overtly everything. And was there a disclaimer on the front of this one? No. Okay. Like, I feel like there might be something to be like, hey, uh, this got a PG, and in no way should it have gotten a PG. So maybe just consider this a PG thirteen, and which is weird because PG thirteen existed at this point because this is after Temple of Doom. So like, PG thirteen existed for four years at this point. It's like, probably just because years. it had all the cartoon characters. To... I know. The MPA is con- inconsistent and a bunch of bigots. So, I... anyway, don't have to have that rant here. It's just silly. It mm-hmm. took me for a shock because I remember watching this kid a lot as a kid, uh, uh, this movie a lot as a kid. And if I were a parent to to a child my, my age when I'd seen it, I would not allow my child to see it. Mm. Is kind of the point I'm getting at. It, if at least just for the like terror in the movie. Sure. Um, you know, because you could talk about, you know, you can have conversations about like sexualization and, you know, cartoon violence and all that. But when you get to like the stuff that nightmares are made of, like that stuff's just like seared in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? You got other notes? No, I'm, I'm all set. I don't think of anything else. I think I think maybe the other thing is I didn't think this movie was quite as funny as I remembered or I wanted it to be or it tried to be. I remember it being a lot like I felt a lot more serious than I remembered, but I also feel like there was a lot of jokes that they tried that just didn't work. A lot of stuff that, you know, some of that's like slapstick humor or whatever. That was just like, I just not, not really into it um, for, for, for one reason or another. I don't know. Um, yeah. But maybe the more I'm, maybe the older I realized this wasn't ever going for a comedy. It was just a way to get, you know, people that wouldn't normally go see a detective movie to see a detective movie. Hmm. Um, Cool. Uh, yeah, I think I'm out uh, of, of comments as well. Uh, I liked it. I'm, I'd still say, you know, if you are interested in checking it out, like I'm definitely not warning against it. Um, and, uh, you know, if you remember seeing it as a kid, I think that you could get something new out of it. You know, whether you liked it as a kid or didn't like it as a kid, I think uh, I'd still recommend, you know, revisit it for whatever reason. So um, I just don't know how much I'm going to watch this movie like in the future. I don't. I don't know that I actively want to watch it a ton. Yeah. Which is fine. Uh, Robert, are you going to put this in the goats? Yeah. I don't know. My gut says no. Like, it was good and and uh, groundbreaking, but for whatever reason, I'm just feeling a no. That's fine. Um, I, I, I'm i going to go ahead and say yes, and for the same exact reason why we talked about Fantasia, how yeah. the – in this case, the combination of 2D and live action is just groundbreaking and really opened the door for a lot of things to happen in the future. And um, yeah, uh, not not for any other thing except for the the making aspect of it um, is right. is the thing that's gonna put it in there for me. Um, so cool, that's fine. We can differ. That's okay. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Uh, on next uh, next goats. I I take it neither of these top tier, top tier list. No, uh, I had both in the uh, bottom third. Yeah, mine too. I moved Fantasia to it's just above 
um, The Birds, which is The Birds and Eight and a Half is it. Uh, and then Who Framed Roger Rabbit is like maybe five ahead, you know, above Rebel Without a Cause. And I think I had this just below The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So Nice. Yep. Uh, on next uh, month, we're going to talk about two family-themed movies, family-centric movies. Uh, we'll be talking about Kramer versus Kramer and Ikiru. So those are the two that we'll be checking out. Uh, before we move on, though, uh, no, no, never mind. We already did that. What's your favorite goat of all time? Because hmm. um, we don't need to because this didn't this didn't crack it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there we go. There's your animation goats uh, next month, family-centric goats. Uh, Ikiru, the um, uh, Kurosawa film, and uh, Kramer versus Kramer, the somebody famous did that movie, right? Uh, yeah, Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep. But I mean, like directed, right? Robert Benton. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Director of Bonnie and Clyde, or writer of Bonnie and Clyde. Well, that's something. And Superman. And yeah, the Superman. best movie he ever directed was Kramer versus Kramer, but he wrote uh, the original Superman and Bonnie and Clyde, both of which are very good. Very nice. Uh, you can catch Ikiru on HBO Max as well as Kramer vs. Kramer. So if you have that, you can check it out uh, before next month. So that's what we're going to do uh, next month. But uh, we'll get to move on to the B-plot here. Uh, I asked Robert to uh, come up with some films that are not currently available in the Criterion Collection that we wish would be available. Um, the caveat here is we cannot talk about movies that we covered on this podcast for GOATS. Um, because we answer that question every week. So films that we think would make excellent additions to the next wave of Criterion uh, Criterion's releases. A um, couple films that are already announced is Sound of Metal will be coming out um, in 2022, as well as um, One Night in Miami. I know those are both announced. Um, Citizen Kane is getting the first 4K from Criterion. It's nice that they're finally going to do that. Um and uh, Defy Bloods was also announced, I know. Uh, it's getting the first 4K, which, how much is it going to be now? $60? Oh my, I'm so scared to find out. <laughs> um, which, I, I buy them from Best Buy, typically, unless there's a sale, because they're always, the Blu-rays are $27.99, if they're 40 at Barnes mm-hmm. & Noble. So, uh, but sometimes Amazon even has them for cheaper than that, like $20. Um, but I can't afford to buy them unless they're on sale. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, anyway, uh, so like, those are just a couple that I think are all going to make excellent additions to the Criterion collection. Um, and, you know, would have definitely been on my list had they not already been announced. Uh, um, I tried to do older films and I tried to have a specific reason for adding it. Not just, I really like this movie. Um, I thought there had to be like a, a really specific reason. So I will explain my reasons as I pick the films as well. Uh, but uh, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. I have eight. Um, how many do you have, Robert? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Give me one second. Sorry about that. Um, I have four. Okay. Well, I'll kick us off then. Go for it. Um, I'm going to start off with the ones that really like are the least reason um, because, and it's just because they are, or there's two, there's two things. Um, uh, I'll, I'll list these two, uh, the trial of the Chicago seven and Coda, the new Apple TV plus film um, that I really love. Um, and the reasonings for this is they are streaming exclusives and I can think of a million films I want that are streaming exclusives like Palm Springs. Uh, but I am just dying to watch special features for these films and specifically the essays and I'm specifically the trial of Chicago seven. 
kind of the um, like uh, maybe they'd include some documentary footage or maybe they'd include um, like a short documentary feature. Um, there's got to be a feature on Sorkin's uh, scr- screenplay writing uh, and that, you know, as like I, I'm so I want that bonus feature stuff um, so much. Uh, and Coda is I want that special feature stuff. I want um, an audio commentary on that film. Um, and because it's only on Apple TV Plus, it's only going to reach a fraction of the audience that it could. And I know Criterion's pretty exclusive, so like it's not going to widen it a bunch, but this would widen it to be a little bit more accessible. Yeah, nice. Um, should I give one of mine? Yeah, yeah. Martin Scorsese's After Hours. Um, I saw this when it was on HBO Max, probably about a year ago. Really, really loved it. Um, it's in my top like three or four Scorsese movies. Um, it's This is the movie to show the loudmouth MCU stands who say Scorsese's just an old man who's never made anything good other than gangster movies. Um, well, this is one of a few to show them like along with silence and last temptation of Christ right. and that sort of thing. Um, but this is just about a guy who has a really bad night um, and not in the same sense as like Joker's one bad day. It's just like, just everything goes wrong for this guy. And it's like slapstick humor, very funny. Um, and I don't think you can get it on Blu-ray. I've looked and it's, if you can, it's very difficult to find. This would be the perfect kind of movie for criterion to release especially since it's from one of from like an all-time great director who Mm -hmm. uh is known for making a specific kind of movie and this not being that at all but still being one of his absolute best yeah um it's been on my list ever since you watched it um and for sure i'll be talking about it with shane at some point whenever he gets to that and his scorsese uh series on his channel yeah, it looks like I cannot find a Blu-ray of it. So I thought at uh, one point I found some weird version oh, on there eBay. Is. Uh, there is a version on um, Amazon, but uh, it looks like it's probably like a French release. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's from Spain. That's the weird one that I found on eBay. Twenty nine dollars. Yeah, it's thirty five on Amazon. So. Uh, but yeah, it looks like you can buy digital pretty cheap, actually. Um, so anyway, uh, that doesn't mean anything. Cool. Uh, yeah, great, great, uh, great way to do that uh, or to to talk about that. Uh, that's really a lot of the ones I tried to pick is availability. Um, I think with the exception of one, because um, only one of them is pretty widely available. I just think it just deserves to be in there. Um, so I'll go ahead and then uh, do uh, Eight Men Out. You're a big baseball fan. Have you seen this one, Robert? No, I don't think I have. Nice. Uh, this is obviously about the Chicago White, the, the White Sox, later dubbed the Black Sox, uh, from the um, World Series that they rigged uh, or threw. Sorry, not rigged. Yeah, they threw it. Um, there is a, this is a really good story. A lot of great performances. Jo- uh, Joan Cusack, not Joan Cusack, John Cusack. Uh, Charlie Sheen plays uh, Shoeless Joe. Um, a lot of great performances here. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Clifton James, Michael Lerner, Christopher Lloyd, uh, David Strathairn, T.B. Sweeney. Uh, lots of great people there. I don't think this has a Blu-ray release in the U.S. Or if it did, it was a super limited run and cost 
you know, if I'm looking, the one I'm looking at right now costs $30. So um, if I'm going to spend $30, why not spend on a Criterion? And again, if you can get some, you know, sweet bonus features, you know, some documentary historians talking about what the Black Sox meant. Um, This is an important story. It's a great story. It's a great film. Uh, It's one of my favorite baseball films of all time. Um, So, yeah. That, that would be one of my picks. I'll go ahead and throw out another one just to be quick primer. Um, <clears throat> again, because of availability. Um, this is a early 2000s uh, time travel movie that a lot of people consider to be one of the best. Um, I don't. Um, it's a good movie. Uh, it's not 12 Monkeys or um, you know, Palm Springs is maybe my favorite. Oh, it's Time Loop. I don't know. Do we count Time Loop in time travel? Um, I personally think they're different. but Yeah, I, I would say too. Um, this is, so this is like uh, it, I think most people admit is the most like logical like less wiggle room on how time travel could actually work. Uh, so primer, hmm. uh, it's it's fine. It's a little heady. I see. I'm, I think I've heard of it. Um, my last three are all very recent. One, of course, as I've mentioned before, is Bo Burnham's Inside. Mm-hmm. I just like to get some. I'd like to get inside it. <laughs> And get some behind the scenes. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, sure. I'm very tired. Um, and get some behind <laughs> the scenes of that. Maybe some. Uh, he's obviously the only one who worked on it, other than a few producers and sound mixers. Um, so I'd like to get maybe like an essay or just some interviews, just not necessarily about the meaning or the the mindset he was in, because that's all very subjective and interpretive in the special itself. But just like how he did it all. Um, yeah. You're in a room for a year putting together this intricately shot thing how'd you do it so yeah i kind of i kind of want if they were to do it to let him be completely in charge of all the special features yeah like awesome. he writes the essays and he you know comes up with you know mini the the shorts or whatever That'd yeah great. um let's see uh one foreign film uh that is semi-hard to get your hands on uh old boy uh the fight sequences and that one specifically the kind of side scrolling one is definitely worth enough for this to be great. Uh, this is a really great action movie. Um, I'm surprised it doesn't have a wider home release than it does. Uh, but it's a really, really, really great movie. So. Um, yeah, I've never seen it. I'd like to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an international one as well. And that's another round uh, from, what is it, last year now? Mm-hmm. Thomas Vinterberg and Mads Mikkelsen movie. Um, I don't know if it got a Blu-ray release. I, I haven't checked on that. But I feel like that's just the perfect type of movie to have an, a fun cover, um, some cool behind-the-scenes stuff. I know the two of them have worked together a lot. So, yeah, I'd like to see that one. Uh, it did get a Blu-ray release, but it was very limited. It was pretty much like no stores carried it in mm. stock. You would have to like order it. Like They weren't available at Best Buy, if you, but you could go to BestBuy.com and order one. Um, so even more reason to release it on Criterion. Right. So, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm definitely interested in some behind the scenes stuff like that with like, you know, here's the psychology and here's where that falls apart and here's how we tried to use that. And all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see. I have The Legend of 1900. This is a movie I watched recently. Um, Tim Roth um, playing this guy who's born and stays exclusively on this ship. It's like a 245 epic um, directed by the director from Cinema Paradiso. Uh, this is his other good movie Ennio McCorney uh, Morricone has a terrific score for this I've talked about it um, last week with uh, with Foster um, but this is only available 
if you buy a foreign DVD or if you, even though it's in English and it was made by an Italian director mm. it's in English, um, it's only available if you buy a foreign DVD or if you buy it on Amazon instant video um, in standard definition quality. So Oof. this is both get some attention as well as get a decent quality out there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I'll also throw out Armageddon. Uh, this had a Criterion release, actually, exclusively on DVD, though, and it's the only way you can get the director's cut, which makes it a better movie. Um, I was going to say, I, I don't know why there's not had a Blu-ray criterion. release. Yeah. yeah, it was only the DVD, which I own, uh, haven't seen yet, um, but multiple sources have told me it's significantly better. Hmm. So why not release the Blu-ray, especially now that you're doing the 4Ks? Yeah. Um, my last one, should I do my last one? Yeah. yeah. It's going to be The Green Knight which I absolutely adored. Um, and that's because I've kind of gone down a bit of a David Lowry rabbit trail. And his way of thinking is so fascinating. A lot of directors, uh, you'll ask them, what did you mean by this? Or what did this symbolize? And they will be like, well, I put it in the movie. Go interpret it for yourself. You know, uh, they're kind of hands off about it. But he he goes and talks about like, oh, I meant this. This was my mindset when I put this here. And I think that's very interesting. Um, so I'd be, uh, I'd really love to see some behind the scenes and read some stuff from him. Um, I already have read a lot, not only about the green Knight but some of his other work, but this one is my favorite of his that I've seen so far. And yeah, I'd just love to see some behind the scenes and see an awesome cover of that. And yeah, it's kind of movie out there. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're disagree. Cause I thought it was a boring movie, but <laughs> Yeah. To each their own. Uh, the very last one. This is this is the only one that I really had on there. Not pretty much not because of accessibility, but because I think how do you not? And it's Passion of the Christ. Uh, and regardless on how people feel about like religiosity and Christianity and things like that, like it's hard to argue that this isn't one of the most well done and important films of all time. Um, it's really great. Um, so that's I think all I'll say about that. Like it's filmmaking and it's fun. You know, regardless how you feel about Christianity and the whole Jesus thing, and regardless how you feel about Mel Gibson, which I'm sure we're more inclined to to think along the same lines about that one, uh, like regardless of all that kind of stuff, this is uh, it's really remarkable filmmaking. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about important stories, you know, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're talking about influential stories, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah, it's. I think it's getting a 4K release sometime soon. It's pretty widely available on Blu-ray and DVD. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, plus, you know, behind the scenes, you know, um, definitely interested in a lot of that stuff. Sweet. Uh, let's do the spinoff then, Robert. What's that one thing in pop culture you want to tell everybody to watch or to avoid? Well, um, as I mentioned, I've been very busy and I haven't really watched a lot. I think the last couple of weeks I've watched four things, and two of those we talked about for this episode. Um, but one night I had, I finally had a free night where I sat down and watched two movies and I'm going to mention, I'm going to break the rules and <gasps> I'm going to mention them both quickly. Um, one I mentioned a minute ago that I've been in the David Lowry mood. So I went on Disney plus and watched his Pete's dragon remake, which I thought was a- absolutely excellent. Um, you really, have you seen it? No. Yeah. It's, I just- it's I just a t- didn't think of Pete's Dragon live action remake would be any good. No, it was great. It's the type of movie you've seen a million times. You know, it's like the exact same story as the Iron Giant, but it's there's 100% sincerity behind it. 
And that's what's always going to get me on board for your movie. So that was great. And then another one, uh, I wasn't a huge fan, or not that I wasn't a huge fan, but I don't love Alien just because sci-fi isn't always my thing. But I love Ridley Scott, and I've been wanting to watch more of his movies as The Last Duel and House of Gucci are coming out later this year. So I threw on Prometheus a few nights ago, Mm -hmm. and I thought this was a divisive movie. But that's another one. I absolutely adored it. Um, yeah, me too. I thought it was great. I was not expecting to love it because, like I said, sci-fi isn't always my thing. But I thought it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I do love the first two Alien movies. Uh, but I really love Prometheus and, and its sequel, Alien Covenant. Um, I don't I don't really get the hate um, for them. Right, yeah. I thought they were kind of like, some people love them, but mostly there's a lot of hate. But I don't, I, it seems like there's a lot of people saying it's not faithful or something and that's where i'm like i don't care this is a great movie right and i think there's also that element of this movie came out when it was cool to hate damon lindelof so ah uh, that, would, that would explain it that also does it yeah anyway all right well, Peace you, dragon and prometheus two great movies you broke the rules so i'm gonna break the rules too because i have Do two it. things listed um because it's just the only two things i've seen since last podcast recording um i went to the thieves and saw free guy um i really enjoyed it as well it's pretty um, great I was not surprised that I enjoyed it. I probably liked it a little bit less than I anticipated. Uh, but it did some different things that I wasn't expecting. Uh, it actually had a heart to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, especially took some directions that I was like, as a gamer, I don't even follow this logic. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and plenty of big laughs. Um, it, I wrote in Letterboxd, this is, uh, this is what happens when you combine Deadpool and um, uh, the Lego movie. And I mean that for the absolute best and worst parts of both of those movies. Um, mm. I liked it. I liked Free Guy a lot. Um, I I've, didn't love it. I've heard about a dozen different movies of that people are saying, like, this is a mix of this and this. And it's always yeah. like some combination of Deadpool, Lego Movie, Truman Show, maybe a couple other things here and there. Yeah, Ready Player One. Ready yeah. Player One, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and, but, but either way, you could put any combination of movies and it always means, especially if it has Deadpool in it, the best and worst parts. Okay. Uh, a little bit less potty humor. I was, I, lit- I walked into the theater thinking it was rated R and was surprised to find it was only PG-13. And um, yeah, so it kind of forced itself to get a little creative, which was one of my um, gripes about The Suicide Squad, which I still loved that movie. I know you didn't, but I still loved The Suicide Squad. But I was just like, if you put the PG-13 handcuffs on, you have to work for a joke. Where otherwise it's just easier to be like, haha, balls are funny. Um, you know, <laughs> something well, like that. Well, I had the opposite expectations coming in. I was, I sat down and was like, wait, I don't even know what this is rated. I kept seeing that it was a Disney movie. I thought it might be PG. And then I heard some bad words like off the top and I was like, oh, this is PG 13. I think this was made by Fox and then just released by Disney through the merger. So I gotcha. Uh, yep. Uh, and then the other one is I watched Batman The Long Halloween Part 2. Uh, part one came out about a month ago and I watched part two. This is a solid story. It's not, this didn't need to be two parts. Um, but if you're into DC animated stuff or if you want to, like Long Halloween is one of the best comics there is. Uh, it's really nice to see um, DC has been doing this thing for the last 10 years with their animated films where they did the Flashpoint Paradox and now everything has to take place in this timeline. And they finally ended it about two years ago. And so now it's, we're just going to adapt stories and they don't have to connect to one another and they don't have to take place chronologically and all that. And I really appreciate that they're doing that Hmm. because all these comics that have consistently been not 
not taking part of the same timeline and all that. Um, so it's it's nice to see that they're getting faithful with them again. Um, they don't have to kind of stretch the original source material to um, to do that. And you don't feel like you have to watch all of them. You could just watch these two and be okay. Nice. Um, it's not groundbreaking. It's not excellent. It's not great. It's good. So. Well, that's a wrap. Quick reminder, if Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. Uh, you can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. And if you're interested in writing for SifPop.com or you want to get in contact with us to send us a question to explore during the B-plot, you can email us at writersroom at SifPop.com. That should be at the bottom uh, of your or in your description. Uh, you can also check, get in contact with me via Twitter, Letterboxd, or Swite Castle. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, please. Uh, but, Robert, that's uh, all the things people can connect with me about. Robert, where can... Uh, uh, people go to you to tell you to get more sleep. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> go to Twitter underscore Rob Thoughts. Um, YouTube Robert's Thoughts, and my website is roberts thoughtscom That's right. Go go check out that Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso video available tomorrow. Sweet. Uh, all right. Uh, as always, Robert, really appreciate having you on. As always, happy to be on. Woohoo! Uh, we'll see you next month for Kramer vs. Kramer and Ikiru, both available on HBO Max again. Nice. Um, and uh, next week, I'm doing Nostalgia with Chris and Ian, uh, two new writers. Uh, we're going to do uh, Mouse Hunt and Hook. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we talk about those next week, and we'll see you back here for that.